Welcome to the Do Divorce Right podcast. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and I'm here to help you transition through your divorce with ease and integrity, to not only survive the challenges of your divorce, but to thrive as you come out the other side of it with a much better life than you ever hoped possible. On this show, we talk about many different aspects of divorce, interview women who have their own incredible divorce stories, or those who can offer some great advice as you go through yours. The focus here is to help you find the strength and support to help you feel lighter, happier, more positive, and in a better frame of mind to face the inevitable challenges of your current journey. Okay, welcome back to the Do Divorce Right podcast. It's my absolute pleasure today to bring an expert in child safety. Christy McVie is a retired senior constable in the WA Police Force. She's a child safety strategist, a child abuse prevention advocate, a speaker, and very importantly, an author which I think is super exciting. I'm on a journey to write a book myself at the moment. So I'm, mm, um, and the book's called Operation Kids Safe. Now, Christy, would you like to tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to where you are today? And then we'll get into to advice for women, how they can keep their children safe as they're going through separations and divorce. Sure. Yeah. So a little bit about, about me. Um, well, I'm actually first and foremost a mother, so I have a 15-year-old daughter, but uh, when I became a police officer, she was only two years old, and mm. uh, yeah, I took that plunge. And, you know, if when people ask me, how, why did you become a police officer, I, I, I used to say, oh, I love helping people, but I actually think it, part of it was because I was fiercely protective of my daughter, and I remember when she was a few weeks old, holding her, you know, in my arms, looking down at this precious little baby going, how am I going to keep you safe in the world? And I don't know, it wasn't a conscious decision to join the police. I just saw this ad in a paper and I was like, yeah, I could do that. And it's a hilarious thing because I'm only five foot one. I'm very short. And, but the willpower and the, and the, uh, what's the word, the strength of mothers, it, you know, can beat anything. So I became Absolutely. a police officer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I set my set my goal and I and I used to run. Uh I we lived on a property and I used to run whilst my daughter was having sleep. So I used to practice running and doing like, you know, sprints and hill sprints and stuff like that while she was sleeping and and all in an effort to get into the police, which paid off and and I got in when she turned two. And it wasn't once I was in the place, I realized that um, I really I felt driven to help children, help yeah. parents and children. And so I put my hand up to become a, spe- a specialist child interviewer when she was three and a specialist child interviewer. Christy, in the it just feels too raw, you know, speaking to children in really difficult situations when you've got a small one at home. Did that not? It was an eye opener. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew what I was actually signing up for. No. Um, I, I mean, I had in the first twelve months of, in the police, I had obviously attended as a first responder to child sexual abuse cases, and and you know the the initial reporting of of incidents with children, and uh, I just know that there's there's in those first few days or in those first few moments when a parent calls police, there is a lot going on for parents and children and um and being a mother I you know it was so important to me to be that safe place for those families and those yeah. children I don't know where that came from but 
you know, that's always been me as a person. And so I just wanted to do more. I wanted to be more and more for my community because I was living in a small community at the time. And, yeah, I became this specialist child interviewer. And, again, like you said, it was very raw because my daughter was only three at the time and I was learning about the prevalence of child sexual abuse on children um, or in our community and, you know, 90% of all child sexual abuse is someone known to the child and, you know, it's one in three girls and one in six boys or one in five boys now um, that are a victim of child sexual abuse. And when I first found out those statistics and I learned how predatory the behaviours were and the warning signs of predatory behaviour, it changed everything about how I parented after that minute, after that okay. knowledge and um, and then I went on to interview children in my community. I, obviously, I was still, you know, parenting my daughter and living in a small community, but I went on to then be the only specialist child interviewer in my area and I would travel all over. Uh, I was living in the Pilbara at the time um, and I would travel all over and interview children who had been sexually abused and abused and get their evidence for court. So it's a specialist training because... It's really important that, that we, when you do get the evidence, it's not, um, you're not suggesting anything to a child and it's in their own no, words. No. And there's a certain way that you need to ask children questions so that when they do give the evidence, it is not thrown out of court or not seen as yes. um, coerced or, you know, yeah. so. So, yeah, so I did that and, yeah, like you said, it, w it was very raw and I was very petrified for a while there, but I also uh, was empowered by the fact that I had this now knowledge and it, I could prevent it with my child. sharing out to the world, right? In yeah. In your book and in your programs as well. Yep. Can you yep. tell us a bit more about the book and what people can expect? Well, I'll, I'll ask you some very specifics soon. We'll get to that. Yep. But, um, yeah. So you'd say. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So um, so I was in the police for 10 years and in that time I was a specialist child interviewer, as I said, and a child abuse detective. So I actually became a child abuse detective after four years in the police or a detective and went down the child, child abuse line because, again, I felt so passionate about helping families and parents and kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, in that time I learned so much stuff that I was just like, parents don't know what I know. They need to know what I know. And as I was exiting the police, uh, about six months after I exited um, and retired, I just kept thinking, I've got a notebook that I found the other day from 2019 because my last day in the police was the 26th of January 2020. And I found a notebook about six months before and it's got all these ideas for my book. And And when I did exit and leave, um, I just started writing and I just kept thinking, if parents knew what I knew, then they could keep their own kids safe. And so I yeah. started writing and in the book I I write it's broken up into four parts. So the first part is all about, um, you know, intimate child sexual abuse, which is someone known to the child um, contact offending, which is uh, then the second part is all about peer-based abuse or child on child abuse, which okay. is a massive prevalence. There's a huge prevalence for it. Uh, it's about, it accounts to about 40 to 50% of all child sexual abuse is by another child. Okay. And then uh, online abuse. So obviously, as a detective, I was investigating all of these facets of child sexual abuse, you know, and online child sexual abuse is becoming obviously a much bigger problem that we, um, that police are struggling with. They don't know how to keep 
there's no lid. It's like the lid's blown off and they don't, you know, they're not keeping up either. And then the last part to the book is what to do if. So I kept thinking, oh, I realized when I left that a lot of everyday people, civilians, if you will, <laughs> um, they didn't know what I knew about what police, what, what was happening in an investigation and what to expect. And so when you're a parent or a person going through um, some form of investigation with the police and you're waiting on the police to do their job, you don't know whether they're doing their job or not. You don't know whether, you know, if this is correct or, you know, should this happen or what happens the same next. Is true in the court system when it's just exactly. regular kind of division of assets and paperwork and, and exactly you still yeah. can be so unsure about what the process is, what happens next. Are people doing what they're supposed to do? What am I waiting for? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Okay, so you tell people what to expect what to do if and and what to expect in an investigation and you know and i empower parents to you know ask questions and speak up and you know you know push if they feel like they're not being heard or if they're not their child's advocate for themselves and for their children beautiful and and it's only since i left the police that i realized actually that wasn't the norm like people didn't realize they had that right yes and so yeah yeah, I can understand that actually, not feeling like you're able to advocate for yourself or your child in the space when it goes into a legal environment. You think, okay, yeah. this isn't a territory where I have rights, but okay. Yeah. Um, so thinking about our listeners, the audience here being women who are separated or about to be separated yeah. on their process of divorce, most of which have children, I'd say like 99% of listeners have got children as they're going through this, and they're wanting to keep their children safe, but also feeling stretched with all of the responsibilities. So for the first time, they're needing to, you know, look after a home and all of the things to do with their home on their own, parenting, solo parenting for the first time. Let's just keep it in their own home for the moment. So what Mm. kind of the baby steps or easiest suggestions that you can make that are tangible for an overwhelmed working mom? who you know whose priority is her children but also just keeping her shit together we got Mm. some suggestions on how we can best support our children well i mean i'm not sure if this is the answer you're thinking but i feel like and let me backtrack a little bit i actually so i've been with my husband 27 years we were we are high school sweethearts we got together at 15 we've been married 22 years but uh, when I joined the police um, and about three years into being in the police, we actually separated for a year. So I have some real, and we didn't live in the same place. He lived in another, t- he went and lived in a major city and I stayed where I was policing with my daughter. So I actually do have firsthand experience with what it's like to separate yeah. and to not know what the hell's going on. How do we manage, um, you know, and I remember quite specifically, you know, I was trying to hold it all together whilst my daughter was awake and then I would fall apart when she went to sleep. So I do very much remember that and 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 sometimes I wonder how how you get through it like you do. But eventually time passes, you start getting stronger, you start realising that you deserve better and that things and, you know, to fast forward a little bit, it, you know, we ended up uh, reconciling, did the work, and we're happily married, you know, still right. today. 
So I do understand how hard it is for uh, for a single parent, single mum, and for women in this space. Navigating all of the challenges, yeah. It is a lot. So what I would say is that what I saw when I was a police officer and detective was that when you're in that space of complete and utter turmoil, the world is tipped upside down, is when you're, you and your children are most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so it is really imperative that as a parent we try and keep on top of what our children are doing mm-hmm. because when we're falling apart, we tend to take our finger off the pulse a little bit. We we tend to, you know, it's hard to keep on top of everything, as you pointed out. And so it's really imperative that we're, you know, it's when we tend to need to lean on other people the most, when we might ask friends to look after our kids or Absolutely. we might, you know, and that's it's beautiful that we can do that, but it's really imperative that we actually make sure that we're still keeping a good eye on our children because that's when they're most vulnerable and at risk of being um, abused. So even in uh, when they go to their your partner's home or their um, their parent the other parent's home, you know they might be have moved in with someone or they've moved back with their parents or you know or they've gone off and and started a new relationship with another person. So it's really important that we keep on top of the fact that our children are most at vulnerable and at risk. And it would be, I have just, uh, I really believe in protective behaviours education. I don't know if you've ever discussed this with your listeners before. No, but about this. Protective prepa- behaviours education. Yeah, yeah. yeah protective behaviours education is something that I learnt very early on in the police when I became a specialist child interviewer. And it's, it's where you teach your children their bodily rights. So they okay. have the right to feel safe at all times and they can talk to someone about anything. And if you're if you're the parent, you're the mum, and we're talking to mums here, so you're the mum, okay? So it's really imperative that your children know that they have the right to feel safe all the time. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if they're at your house or someone else's house, at, you know, wherever they are, and that they can talk to you about anything. Mm-hmm. Because when they go off and do things with other people whilst your whilst your world's upside down, they need to know that when they come home, if something has happened, that they can come to you and talk to you about it. One hundred percent. Yeah. Because we we assume our children know that. We assume our children know that, but unless we uh, give them that message and we continue to to make sure that that message is reiterated, then we don't. Some children don't actually know. Okay, I love and, that. That's a really gorgeous takeaway. A gorgeous takeaway here is openly talk to your children about yeah. the fact that they deserve to feel safe wherever yes. they are yes. and that they can talk to you about absolutely anything. Yes. One of the things I talk to my children about in in addition to that is you can tell me absolutely anything and you won't be punished for it. Exactly. This is one of the ways in which, you know, the online behaviours, I've tried to make it safe for them to tell me if if something inappropriate happens in the online space, that doesn't mean I'm going to take their device away. I need them to be able to talk to me about it and then I can help them navigate that situation and whether they feel embarrassed about what they've Mm -hmm. done to initiate some kind of discussion. But I'm not going to take the device away as a punishment because then they tell me. Exactly. And I I reiterate that in every 
every aspect of my uh, teachings and what I share with parents and anything to do with ch- t- dealing with children, if we make it a punishment or if there's a, a there's an, a punishment or a repercussion associated with being truthful, then when, why would they be truthful with us? So, or why would they share anything with us? So we need to remember that that kind of parenting ended ended 20 something years ago. And parenting is way hard. We're parenting in a way that has, you know, we haven't navigated before. We don't have experience of of parenting in a different way to which we've been parented. I think in addition to not punishing questionable behaviors, no, so you said um, don't punish truth, like sharing of of truth, of confidences. I would also add that with uh, not punishing questionable behaviors because Mm. in some ways it's a little bit, I, I I can see now that there's a grey area there. But if you're going to come to me and share, I, I did something that I'm not very proud of or I did something that yep. I probably shouldn't have done, I don't want to punish that if they've come to me and shared it with me because I worry that shame stops mm. people from sharing their mistakes. Yes. We get shamed so easily and especially when we're little. I mean, I can think of things... 30 years ago, I said something stupid and someone laughed at me in the school ground and you carry that shame forever. And it's like, still there. Exactly. So I, I want them to know that they can talk to me and diminish that shame, shine some light yeah. on it a little bit, which is okay, you've, you've done something that was a bit questionable. Let's talk about that. Let's figure out how could you have done things differently and what can you do to repair if there's any damage there with somebody else, if you've said something unkind about somebody else, how do we repair that damage? Yeah, so um, part of the protective behaviours education framework is um, called one step removed, um, one step removed, and one step removed is where we um, and I, I liken it to scenario training with policing. So you you touched on it already. But so when we talk to children, when I spoke, speak to children, I will say, and to my own daughter, so this is how I have discussed many, many subjects, both scary, upsetting, whatever. But like you just said, when she comes to me and says, oh, I have had this happen or this has happened or I've done this, and, you know, first of all, acknowledge that it's very brave to speak up when you feel like you've done the wrong thing or it's very brave to share something hard like that. You know, you're very brave for that. And second of all, uh, ask them, the question is, what would you do if, or what could you do if, you know, for instance, my daughter at 10 saw porn for the first time. Now, the average age of a child seeing porn for the first time is now eight years old, yeah. but, at, but a couple of years ago, it was 10. And the reason why she went and, and looked at porn was because she was doing puberty education in school in year five, and she Googled sex. And of course, if your child has an open internet yeah, yeah, if you have, have yeah. an open internet and they can Google whatever they want and you Google sex, what are you going to get? You're going to get pornography. So she comes to me and she says, Mom, can you please sit down? And the first thing my brain went to was, she's been sexually abused. Yeah, and what's happened to her? <laughs> what's happened? Yeah. Oh, my God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was my catastrophic brain of policing. And then second of all, I sit down and she says, Mom, um, I Googled sex and I saw porn. Now. In the first instance, I wanted to freak out, but I, you know, I, I said, can you just give me a moment? Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Like, why didn't I protect I'm not my ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'd already had the sex talk two years before because of another incident. But 
And then, um, and then when I finally said that, I said, you know, are you okay? Um, thank you so much for coming and telling me. That was really brave of you. Um, uh, you're not in trouble. And I just said, you know, what, what could you have done differently? You know, instead of looking at Googling sex, what do you think you could have done differently? Yeah. And we, and we role played or scenario played out scenarios in, in as a discussion. Um, of what she could have done instead of looking up sex. And, you know, she could have come to me. She had a really good puberty book that, um, for girls called, you know, by Kaz Cook. She had all of these other options. And, and so that was always my go to is what could kids do? And one step removed is removing the person, the child and putting it into what could your friends do if? What could your yeah. kids do if? What could children do if? And when you do that, you're giving, you're empowering them to actually you're empowering them to find problem solutions solve. to, yeah, problem solve, use critical thinking. And I've been using that uh, technique for so many years now. It's just natural. I even use it on my husband. I use it on friends. Like, what could you have done differently? You know, so when they do come to you and they say, hey, I, w I was involved, like my daughter has been bullied the last couple of years for and, you know, I say, oh, what, what do you think we could do or what do you think you could do differently the next time this happens? And it's just basically using a one-step removed technique or, or yeah. um, you know, problem-solving skills. It's a reframe to curiosity, isn't it? It's a, yeah. it's a reframe to be able to put yourself in that space of curiosity. How how could things have played out differently? What could we have done differently? What could I have done? What, yeah, how, yeah. how could we have gotten to a different outcome? And when I'm thinking about, you know, um, you, you've when you're separated and you don't have control over what's happening when your child goes to another you know another house or another home you could also you know if your child ever comes to you and says oh such a you know this isn't making me happy or this makes me upset you know you could sit there and and empower your child by problem solving or or giving them some solutions like okay but allowing them to come up with some ideas because we can say whatever we would like but when it comes to the actual moment they probably won't remember that because it wasn't their idea or you can sort of lead them to it but well, you know, what worries what me about that is there's a little bit too much leading around the, or maybe you don't have to go to that house anymore. Yeah, right? that's not and the that's not the way to deal with. I <laughs> guess you know, especially if custody. I know that custody arrangements and things are really tricky things. But you know, if your child is coming to you and saying, "I really don't like going to Nana and Pop's house because you know X Y Z," okay, well, what could we do, or what could you do when they make you, that happens? Yeah. You know, could. You know, and the other part to protective behaviours, this is all part of the protective behaviours framework, is teaching your child about language of safety and consent so that they can say, you know, the first thing my daughter learned when I was teaching protective behaviours was to, she was three at the time, right? She used to put her hand out and say, stop it, I don't like it when someone did something. And, you know, either they touched her or she was, you know, she she knew no one was allowed, you know, inappropriate, appropriate touch, safe and unsafe secrets. Um, she knew about, you know, her body autonomy. No one's allowed to touch you in your private places, which Actually, includes your mouth. Yeah, even even raising voices. I would love yeah. the idea of empowering children to say, stop it, I don't like it. Exactly, but doing adult. this, yeah. yeah, yeah, putting your hand up and saying, stop it, I don't like it. So I, I, another story with my daughter, her grandfather used to think it was funny to always tickle her and, like, tickle her until she was, like, obviously not liking it anymore. Mm. I guess some people just don't get the idea that it's, you know, and she used to put her hand up and say, stop it, I don't like it, and it kind of, like, cut him up short. Yeah. And then as she got older, her language changed to, I don't give you consent. 
And so, you know, at 15, she's very sure on like the, what is her, you know, what's her rights, what yeah. is consent and not consent, what she doesn't have to do. But it starts all from a very young age of like, hey, stop it, I don't like it. And I yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, let me just uh, put this one down too. Um, I wanted to ask you how young should we be talking with our children about sex? Now, I, I think that this is a little bit controversial in that we will all have different expectations and different comfort levels. And I'm not suggesting I've done it right, but I've been talking to my kids since they're about four about their changing bodies and what to yeah. expect, what to, what's going to come up and, you know, yeah. headed down this journey, honey. It's not going to stay exactly as it is. And, and mm. had such open conversations that they come even now, like the 14 and 11, they'll say, Mum, can you have a look at my bits? There's something I'm not sure about. Like, mm. I have to? <laughs> yeah, like no. you, it kind of gets on. I mean, I'm again, my daughter, 15, you know, she talks about her um, discharge. She talks about a menstrual cycle. She is she not going to want to listen to this episode. Like, Mum. Oh, no, she knows that she's part of <laughs> <laughs> she she's okay with that. I always give her I get permission from her again consent language of safety consent. I always ask her, "Hey, are you okay if I talk about this topic? And are you okay if I share this topic?" Because and I never share her on my socials because she I it's part of my consent, you know, part of keeping her, her safe. Privacy, but, yeah. Um but yeah, so you know, she talks about everything and she is the most um you know, she's got a boyfriend and she she even sends in pictures of vaginas so that she, he can label them so that he knows where everything is oh my god that's hilarious i know and that's not my idea i've never even talked to her like i i said to her your dad probably doesn't know where everything no, is that's okay. so funny. <laughs> but she is like she's definitely on it on a mission to change like people's opinions but that's yeah. not something that i've enforced i've just empowered her all the way through her childhood but i believe four or four five six you can be talking about sex and and because it's just if it starts changing really young, bodies, isn't it? changing bodies, you know, I remember being asked mm. by my daughter at um, I didn't do and I'm just going to put my hand like put my hand up. I didn't do the sex talk very well because mm -hmm. I was like, I didn't know what how to talk about sex. My parents or my stepmother, should I say, came to me at 13 when I got my first had my first menstrual cycle and said, now don't go reading every Tom, Dick and Harry. That is the only thing she said to me. I had no idea what she was talking about. I didn't know any Tom, Dicks and Harrys. Yeah. Um, you know, like luckily I had older friends in, yeah. um, that, you know, I kind of had an idea. So that's the thing about sex education is, is that if you have very um, open and safe conversations around sex, it is proven that children will take longer, will uh, take more time to consider being Maybe. sexually active, yeah. they um, they know their rights a bit better and so that they uh, can't be pressured or coerced into sexual, um, you know, sexual behaviours. Yeah. And then they will speak up when their rights are not being, um, you know, when someone abuses their rights. So it's not, it's, it's actually a safety thing to do it um, nice. from an early age. Okay, and let's come back to that. How can women feel more empowered? We, we were talking about, you said, women and their children are most vulnerable in times of upheaval crisis, and, yeah. yeah crisis um and you'd mentioned that you just be aware of what they're doing um 
And I heard, so elaborating from that, we were talking about making sure that they have easy access to tell you anything mm. that's going on in their mind and, and anything that's going on. Is there anything else? Um, one of the pieces of advice I think I give to a lot of my clients and listeners is have some guilt-free self-care, right? That they mm. really do need to prioritize themselves. And if that means putting the children in front of the television or the technology yes. for 30 minutes so you can have a warm bath and just have a moment definitely yeah so how do we how do we monitor their device activity so let's think first about what happens in their home and then we can talk about when they go off to another home yeah so i guess the the main thing there is um safeguarding your children's devices so that they can't get onto porn sites and they can't get onto you know things that they shouldn't be on um you know Apple and Android both have really good um, parental controls and time restrictions and, you know, online safety um, aspects to it. So, you know, utilize those tools because they are very handy to have. And, to, and you know, like you said, it is very important to take those moments out, you know, put them in front of, you know, Bluey or put them in front of whatever they need to be in front of. But I would also encourage you to just make sure that your child's device isn't going to open them up to abuse or open them up to being unsafe. So make sure that if you are leaving them unsupervised, mm-hmm. that they have some, you know, there's some protection in place. Okay, beautiful. Parental controls for devices. Um and being aware of who they're spending time with in and out of the home, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. at school do you suggest anything about how how well do we need to know their friends oh yeah well very well I think I personally um I personally find found when my daughter was especially you know when she started going out to people's houses you know when they get to that age yes. where they start going to their play dates um or hanging out with someone yeah. and or, it goes from or, play dates that are parental supervised <laughs> to play dates on their own and then it goes yeah. from, not a play date mom it's a hangout yeah <laughs> or, yeah we're hanging <laughs> um you know like just having some ways to keep like my daughter used to go to a certain friend's house and I'm like thinking and and I she wasn't allowed TikTok at that stage and she mm. wasn't allowed to be on certain like Snapchat and stuff but that parent allowed their child to so you know just touching base with your child and going okay he's like what kind of stuff does are they allowed to do at their house do you know do they have you know what kind of just having that sort of like broad idea that you know they are going to someone else's house and that or potentially going because I tell you what when I was separated from my husband, my daughter going to somewhere was the like being able to have that couple of hours of free time to go Absolutely. and break down is necessary. So I'm not saying don't allow your kids to do that, but I'm saying, hey, just like be aware that when they go to someone else's house, you're not going to be able to control what they see or do whilst they're there. But you can also empower your child to know that if something makes them feel uncomfortable and another side topic to that is how do you how does your child feel uncomfortable in their bodies you know Mm. when they feel unsafe or uncomfortable in a situation do they know how to identify that is it butterflies in their tummy do they get a headache do their hands get sweaty do their knees get shaky you know does their mouth get dry whatever it means to them to feel unsafe because often if a child um, has had an unsafe environment or you know there's been some domestic violence or there's been struggles in the home yelling like you said 
um, they might not actually recognise unsafe signs in their body. I think that's beautiful. I, I'm not sure I know them for myself, you know, intuitively, you know, but I'm not sure I could articulate that. So I would But teaching your child that is really that. important. And there's um it's really important that your child knows that if they don't feel un- if they don't feel safe that they can come home at any time yeah. that they can you know that they can ask and I had a parent years ago ago um again a friend of my daughter's who was like <sighs> like she my daughter insisted on coming home and the parent didn't want her to bother me right mm-hmm. because. I think, you know, we get really upset when someone's like doesn't want to be with us or doesn't want to be with our child. But my daughter was feeling homesick. She was feeling, you know, she just didn't want to be there anymore. And this parent was trying to talk my daughter into staying. Mm. And my daughter, who happened to have her iPad on their internet, was able to message me and say, hey, mum, can you come and pick me up? Yeah. And so, you know, I always say, I used to always drop her off and say, look, it is never a problem if she wants to come home. I would write, please let make sure that you let me know if she does. Yeah. And whatever time, day, et cetera. And so, and I think the going back to that unsafe, uncomfortable feelings, if you can identify, if your child knows that, then any unsafe situation, they're going to know, hey, I feel unsafe and I need to tell someone. And that someone is a, a safe adult. Is it a safe person that they know? Is it someone? Because sometimes they might not want to tell their friends, mum, that they're not feeling comfortable, but they might message you or ring you and say, hey, mum, I'm not feeling safe and, you know, can you come and get me? And then you can go through it with them. Why? Do you suggest having a family code word? Yeah, I do love a family code word. I've never had one myself because I just listened to my daughter and she knew. But, yeah. I, you know, if, for instance, your child is in, is struggles to articulate that, having a safe word is a very good idea, a code word is like, hey, avocado or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I feel like it needs to be something that could naturally come up, otherwise it looks a bit weird. Um, yeah. So we've, we've discussed it a few times in our family, just, but just for listeners, um, an example of this might be that you tell your children they're going off on a, on a sleepover or a play date and you might say, message me, love you, mum, I don't know, kiss, kiss, if you actually want me to come and pick you up. You know, you can say love you, mum, anytime, but if there's a kiss, kiss at the end of it, I know that actually you want me to come and get you. Yeah. Um, make it as simple for them as possible for them or to get know. them to find a way. Like they will know if they're old enough, they will know what which language. way they want to frame it and which That's way right. language, you know, make sure it's they're part of the decision making or the That's discussion crazy. around what to create because they're going to know and it's going to be something they will remember. Um, but I just wanted to reiterate the safety thing because, or the feeling safe and unsafe. There's four parts to feeling like the safety continuum, so to speak, in protective behaviors. It's safe, risking on purpose, mm. fun to be, fun to be scared mm. and unsafe. Mm. So the reason why we differentiate that stuff is because sometimes it's fun to be scared, like going on a roller coaster, right? Mm. We don't want to go. It's, it, it could possibly feel unsafe at the time, but it's fun to be scared. Yeah. And the risking on purpose could be doing a presentation in front of a classroom and, and you don't like public speaking. But there is a difference between all of those parts. And so, and some children will know exactly like, you know, some things will be very, very hard to step out of their comfort zone. And some kids will just dive through it and go, I was one of those children. I dive through, <laughs> dive. So 
you know, being really mindful that, you know, it's okay to risk and have some, have fear. And as they get older, there's going to be more and more of that, isn't there? That yeah. Risks are quite normal in the preteen and teen space. But as soon as you are aware that it's gone to not feeling fun yeah. anymore, not feeling safe anymore. I loved that language you used around feeling unsafe or uncomfortable. It yeah. just makes it more accessible to say, I don't have to be at the brink of, oh, my God, shit's going down and yeah. I don't want to be here. You can just be in the space of, I find this a bit creepy and I'll just yeah. stay home with my mom. <laughs> like, it's yeah, yeah. for that to be the signal itself. They don't have to feel unsafe to to pull the cord of, I want to come home. That's right. Come, coming back to something you mentioned earlier, I'd asked you about friends and you said know the friends well and empower them and, and know what's happening at the other home. Would you have any suggestions then on when you do know the friends or family quite well, but your values differ quite a lot. Mm. I've got to I've got to say that because of my experience as a police officer, I was a bulldozer and I just I just like said things that I most people aren't comfortable with saying like, hey, I don't like it when your kids go on TikTok all the time. Are they going to be on TikTok all the time? Or hey, um, are they going to have access to their devices all night? You know, some parents are just like hands-free and that's okay. That's their decision. But when they used to come and stay at my house, I'd be like, by the way, parents, uh, the devices all get taken off them at 8 p.m., 8 p.m., just letting you know. If you want to get hold of them, call me. And if they want to come home, they're always safe. And I used to say that to the kids. I'd be like, hey, if you ever want to go home, like you are more than welcome to. I'll just come and tell me. And creating that language of safety, creating that it's okay, you're okay. But um. Talking to other parents, yeah, values are an interesting thing and people are all different. But I think, again, knowing when you feel uncomfortable with something, right, as a parent, as a, it's your prerogative if you don't feel comfortable with the situation to say no. It's yeah. your it's it's okay to say no to things. And I have had many instances where my daughter wanted to go somewhere and my early warning signs, that, that feeling in my stomach or Something just didn't feel right. Didn't it just didn't feel right? And I've listened to it over, take letting my daughter go somewhere, and it's okay to listen to that. So, or it's a, or you might ask questions. You might go, "Hey, um, I'm a bit uncomfortable with you know this sleepover with so many kids going to be there. Who's who's going to monitor them? Who's going to be? Um, what other children are going to be there? You know, is there because as I mentioned at the very beginning, six. Uh, 40 to 50% of all child abuse is actually by another child. So, you know, with older siblings being in the house or their friends being there or, you know, who's watching the kids is, is there, you know, and quite a lot of times when I was um, investigating stuff, it was because the parents were having a party, the kids invited their friends and something happened, you know. So there was so many instances of that in my career that I went to those jobs or I investigated those cases. So, you know, who's going to be there? Who's watching over the kids? Is there any other siblings or any other children going to be there that, um, you know, just ask questions like, yeah, hey, you know, gone through a rough time right now, really appreciate you having her or him, you know, yeah. but can you can you just tell me what's happening at tonight? Interesting. I had almost the opposite happen at my home where uh, my 11-year-old had invited I don't know, six or seven other 11-year-old girls over. It was too many for my for my liking. And we'd set up this whole party for them. It was this big slumber party thing. And I'd said to the girls, no devices in the room throughout the party. 
I said, the devices will live in a bowl in the kitchen. You can come out. You can contact your parents at any time. There's absolutely no restriction on that, but I will not have you using the devices in the room. Nobody is to be on video. Nobody is to be taken photos of. You are not to, to share this. I don't want yeah. any, anything happening under my roof that might make anybody who's either I in the room or out of the room not feel safe and happy and comfortable. So I just want you to be here. One of the girls was in tears because she didn't have access to her phone in the room. I was like, honey, you, you yeah. have access to your phone in the kitchen. Yeah. I'm not going to let you have that in the room. I'm sorry. And that's where I think, you know, values do play into it. It's like at her home, she's absolutely allowed. And just to add to that. I love her- that, by the way. I just want to say what an amazing job because uh, oh unfortunately we, as a parent, we often feel pressured by children to allow them to do things that, aren't safe for them oh my and god those tears made me feel like the worst human ever my daughter's like you're so embarrassing how dare you and like well this is this is what parents need to do i need to create boundaries that make sure that you're all safe and happy and healthy right this is what i'm gonna do um but i was just going to add to the the point about that i love so much about parents should feel empowered to ask questions and and what, what did we said ask questions and listen to your own instincts and listen to your own bodies i would add to that without judgment and with respect yes it's quite okay for a different family and even a different home that is part of your family to have different rules mm. and for those rules and those values to be different at the other home but you're still very much allowed to hold on to your own values in 100%. Your- 100% I have had um, many a discussion with other parents in-laws my husband uh, over the years and um, my values were very obviously driven from my time in the police and as a seeing what I saw yeah cool and and I had very I, and I feel that I had very reasonable expectations and reasons for why I felt the way I felt and I didn't I I have felt pressured over the years to change them to to you know minimize them to make them smaller to you know I'm being ridiculous I have been called ridiculous a few times but I have steadfastly stood strong in my beliefs because I know what I know and it, the reason why I know it is is because I was in the police and um and no one doesn't you don't have to become a police officer like I did to to have beliefs for a reason and no one should ever be able should ever uh, you know you should never feel like you have to change them for the, anyone else let me ask so you a really question. Maybe go. something I've had to navigate myself. Okay. What about when somebody else in your own family, whether that's your ex or your new partner or whatever, has um, different understandings or boundaries or expectations? Let's talk about parental controls, for example. Uh, or, no, let me give a different example mm-hmm. of leaving you know younger children and older siblings of another friend you know a non-family member alone at home and the adult in this situation is not on the same journey as you not on the same belief as you so how do we get somebody to come along on that journey and say these are the reasons why I feel unsafe this is what this is why this is important to me I need you to come on board too yeah well give them a copy of my book but um (laughs) facts the facts you know statistics like um you know educate them you know the the reason why we have 
so much child sexual abuse, you know, one in three girls, one in five boys now. The reason why we have that statistic is because through pure ignorance and um, the, the the sticking your head in the sand syndrome, like, you know, oh, ignoring. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, ignoring things. And, you know, oh, it's kids being kids. You know, like it's just, you know, they're just experimenting. Well, I'm sorry, but 11-year-old experimenting with a 5-year-old, that's not experimenting. Yeah. You know, I had that question the other day. Any child that is, you know, if a child is not of a similar age and stage, if they have not the same um, brain development, if they have, you know, if there's no consent, you know, our children need to know that, that they don't have to do anything they don't want to. Yes, two 13-year-olds two potentially kissing and practising kissing might be seen as experimenting. You know, two 15-year-olds messing around, experimenting, you know, getting to know their bodies. But You're any right, child that is older... Difference. There's a power imbalance there. There's a well. power imbalance. Yeah. And the thing that we need people, uh, that I would love for parents to understand is, is that, you know, children aren't... You know, children don't go, oh, and sorry, sidetrack, my brain goes ding, 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 ding. <laughs> um, you know, we've got children as young as eight seeing porn for the first time, children as young as eight being involved in, um, you know, unfortunately in harming other children. Mm. So we need children, we need our children to have supervision. We need them to know their bodily rights and their and what is is appropriate and inappropriate. And if someone doesn't understand that, we need to educate them. So yeah. we need to have those conversations, those really difficult conversations. Why is this important to me? Because I know that one in three girls and one in five boys are abused by the time they reach 18 and that leaving children alone, 11, you know, whatever age group, there is a very high possibility that something could go wrong or that yeah. they, uh, that child could harm them. No one wants to think that their children will do that. Yeah. But it's just, it's just, it's the statistics, it's the facts. Well, let's add to that then. If if it's a difficult conversation that is not going to be well received from you, it is possible to empower other people to have the conversation for you too. Yes, um, I like that. You know, I don't like the idea of petitioning, you know, and bullying up on somebody. No. But it's just to say, you know, my, for example, this is too completely hypothetical if my ex-husband didn't feel the same way that I did about child safety and he didn't want to hear it from me I might ask one of my girlfriends to ask if she could have a conversation with him yeah I ask him do you mind if I have a conversation with your buddy about it and explain to or him your parents or whoever an issue, yeah and then they can maybe find a way to tell you why it's such a big deal for me because if if I'm the reason why the message isn't getting through then I need to yes. take myself out of that equation to make sure that the message gets through I mean you're the expert at navigating some of this stuff so I really it's love how you're conversations I love how you're putting this because um for me I would yeah I know that it's a such a struggle for mums when they are separated and there's this you know there's obviously disharmony and there's problems with communication um however you can get that across is however you get that across okay. that's the first step but the second step is empowering your children to know yes absolutely so that they can speak up yeah beautiful. so you know because if they don't know then they, they can't speak up yeah beautiful okay christy here are my eight takeaways from what we've Ooh. said today i've tried to summarize it as we've gone along 
The first was around protective behaviours education, teaching our children how to know their bodily rights, um, that they can talk to you about absolutely anything and teaching them the language of safety and consent. Um, there was more in that, so go back and listen to what we spoke about, but that's the first. The second is try don't punish your children for talking to you about mm. uh, or sharing a secret with you. Don't punish that and Try not to punish questionable behaviours either. Create it as an opportunity for a conversation. Third, celebrate their bravery for sharing. I kind of love that, which is it. not just acknowledging it, but maybe even celebrating it, that you've been so brave to share this with me. Um, teach them that language of stop it, I don't like it. I think that's beautiful. Get on that immediately. Um, the fifth is empower yourself and make sure you use parental controls on the devices mm. so you're not having the conversation with your children stop turn it off la 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 the devices will do it for you six um get to know their friends get to know their friends as well as you can um and empower your children to know they can come home anytime because um and just to add on that because you know in part knowing their friends and getting comfortable with their families i mean don't get me wrong, don't just blindly trust anyone, but be, being comfortable, they could be your best ally. Absolutely. And yeah. I know that, you know, as you, in my upbringing and a background, they're safe aunties. They're other people that your child can go to. So yeah. in, encourage those relationships if they're a safe people in their lives. Number seven is uh, help them know their signs of feeling unsafe and uncomfortable help them articulate where does it happen in their body when they feel unsafe where does it happen when they feel it's um fun to be scared where do they feel that they're uncomfortable just learning that language of their body i love that got learned so much there and the eighth point is um the parents should also feel really empowered to ask questions and listen to our own instincts when something doesn't feel quite right Beautiful. I can't believe I said all that. <laughs> you did all of that. And I'm so grateful. <laughs> Christy, thank you so much for joining us and giving us all of your support and leveraging your experience to help women navigating a really tricky time to help prioritize their children's safety through it too. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck to everyone. Before we go, can you tell us how people can um work with you in what different ways i believe you've got an online course coming up i do i do follow you tell us a bit more about that thank you um so you can follow me via instagram or tiktok so i'm actually the tiktok cop 81 on tiktok so oh, i know 81. love it i know i couldn't get tiktok cop on its own but yeah um and but you can follow me on instagram at christy mcv author and also, yes, I do have a course coming up about device safety and it's a deep dive for parents to be able to learn how to, first of all, what some of the risks are online and also how to have those tough conversations and how, how to implement some of the safety stuff that I just mentioned in this podcast. I so that's you. coming for out very parent. shortly. Yeah, for every parent <laughs> on the planet, I love that. So people can DM you to get on that wait list, I imagine. Yes, DM me or uh, join my uh, join my mailing list via my via uh, my website. Yeah, so www.cape-cape-au.com, which CAPE stands for Child Abuse Prevention and Education, and AU stands for Australia. So 
We'll put all of the links in the show notes so people thank can you. find you nice and easily. Christy, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. I hope you took something of value out of this episode. I'm your host, Becca Maxwell, and you can find me on the web at dodivorceright.com or on Instagram at dodivorceright. I look forward to connecting with you there.